20 years ago, uh, my wife and I were newlyweds, and like a lot of newlyweds, we had no money, and so the idea of a summer vacation was totally off the table. Well, my dad had money, and he liked to travel a lot, and so one week, he called us and said, I have this timeshare scheduled in um, Williamsburg, Virginia. And what we'd like to do is we want to go up a couple of days and then you guys come midweek and then we'll leave you with the place for the weekend. We thought that's great. Um, and we also have some real dear friends, uh, Podge and April, that are newlyweds who have no money and no hopes of a summer vacation either. So we asked them to come along with us. So we get there and you know, not having any money, we were like, what are the free things to do? So we went to Colonial Williamsburg, and, um, you know, it was interesting for a minute, but we wanted to do something more fun. <laughs> and um, so we went to the concierge at the timeshare and said, what's the free stuff to do around here? And he listed a bunch of things, and the one that really caught our attention was he said, it's Virginia, just down here is the Planters Peanut Factory, and they do factory tours. And all four of us loved factory tours, so we're like, let's totally do that. So this is, this is over 20 years ago, before we all had GPS on our phones, turn-by-turn -turn directions. This is in the days of MapQuest, if you even know what that is. Um, but thankfully, it wasn't hard to find. The concierge said, it's just down this road, about 20 minutes, and you can't miss it. So that's great. We hop in our car, we drive down this road, about 20 minutes, about 30 minutes, about 40 minutes, and we're starting to wonder, have we missed it? Well, we couldn't have missed it because there's nothing there. It's just old country roads. So about 40 minutes in, we see a gas station up on the right. And we're like, let's stop there. Hopefully we'll find a local and they'll, they can give us directions. So we went, I think it was the cashier, and we're like, hey, is the Planters Peanut Factory around here? And she said, yeah, you just take this road, go about 20 minutes, and you can't miss it. All right, so we hop in the car, we drive down this road about 20 minutes, about 30 minutes, and have we missed it? We don't know. But thankfully, there's starting to be some encouraging signs that let us know we might be on the path, is there's peanut farms everywhere you look. So we're in planter's country. It's okay. But there's no way we could have missed it. So, you know, it's kind of frustrating now. We're over an hour, hour and a half into this 20-minute trip. And um, kind of frustrating, kind of funny, but the most glorious thing happened. We're driving, and up here we see a gas station. Not just a gas station full of locals, but a big blue truck that says Planters Peanuts on it. So we're going to get authoritative directions here. They're going to know. So we walk in. We look around, and sure enough, there's two guys dressed from top to bottom in navy, those jumpsuit things with hats that say Planters Peanuts. So we're like, hey, you guys got to know, where's the Planters Peanut Factory? And they said, just take this main road, about 20 minutes, and you can't miss it. 
So we get on that same main road, we drive for 20 minutes, and almost at, exactly at 20 minutes, there's a sign, Planters Peanuts. We have made it. Maybe. It doesn't look like a public entrance. We pull in, there's one car in the parking lot, one car, and the only door I can find is a very uninviting steel door with a little window with the wires in it. I see a light peering through, ring the doorbell, no answer, I knock, knock, knock. Finally, someone comes out. Sir, can I help you? I said, we're here for the peanut factory tour. Where, when is it, where is it? He looked perplexed and he said, sir, we don't do tours. So tomorrow is New Year's Day, a day where we traditionally look back at the year behind us, look at the, the year ahead of us and say, what steps do we want to take? What do we want to do? What's the next steps we want to take? And as good Christians, we know to look for God, to God for directions. Sometimes, though, I feel like it, getting those directions for those steps into the new year often feels like this peanut factory fiasco. It's not as simple and clear-cut as a lot of people would, would make it seem like. So finishing our Advent series, we're going to look at this story in Matthew 2 um, that it, it's the bookend of Advent where we see Joseph and Mary taking the baby Jesus first steps into this new world. And I think it's a great story to show us what getting directions from God is and isn't. So let's, let's look at uh, Matthew 2 here. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So let's take a little tour through this passage line by line to see what getting directions from God is and isn't. So the first line here, but when Herod died. So again, this is the bookend of the Advent story, which started in Matthew with King Herod, who oversaw the land of the Jews. He had heard that this new king of the Jews, Jesus, was born, and this threatened him. So he decided to kill Jesus, the king of the Jews. Could not find him, so he ordered that all male children under the age of two be killed, just to ensure that he was not threatened by this Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, as you're considering next steps into the new year, is anything like that at stake at all? Are the stakes of our choices really life and death that often? For New Year's Day, you're probably, you know, maybe I want a new job or, or a new house or a new waistline after all that Christmas eating. But how often do we get answers? And how often are they this clear and personal as Joseph got? Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream. Now, 
There's three dreams at least that we hear about Joseph having God speaking to him. That's, that's a lot, but that's really not normal. Um, and besides, is there a more useless conversation than talking about a dream? Have you ever had someone, do, they're like, man, I had this dream last night and wonder what it means. It has to mean something. There was this cat, or was it a kangaroo or, or a kangaroo cat? And we were sitting there and he was drinking coffee that kind of turned into macaroni at some point. But then he said this. He looked me right in the eye and he said, live every week like it's shark week. Now that's got to mean something, right? That's got to mean something. We can't expect to get such specific, clear directions from God. That's not a normal thing. And so where God doesn't give specific directions, he's giving us general directions. Let's look at Ephesians 5. It says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. What I've realized is that choosing wisely just means that it's in alignment with our values, you know, the, which we as Christians look to the Bible for that. In the Old Testament, there were 613 laws. It's a lot to, to get to know, but Jesus just summed that together into these three things. He said, love God, love others as you love yourself. And so if, we, if our choices we make are in alignment with those values and things don't go as we hope they would, at least it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be worthwhile. And so what's on the line of most of our choices isn't life or death, but as Ephesians said, that possibility to make the most of every opportunity. And, but we don't choose. How often do we not choose? There's something we could do, but we won't choose it. A couple of reasons we don't choose is comfort. How often do we prefer to endure the known discomforts than the unknown. You know, someone once told me, he said, well, you know where the landmines are. Don't move. You already know where the landmines are here. Um, how often do we stay on a path much longer than we know we should until it begins to fall apart and ch change is no longer a choice, but it's something that has to happen that you're forced to make. So a question to ask here is, what choice am I waiting for others to make so I don't have to? Another reason we don't choose is to be consistent. There's this pressure to appear consistent. Don't make a dramatic change. People will judge you for changing. Oh, look who's growing. I think people get uncomfortable with massive change because maybe it points out that, hey, we aren't choosing for ourselves either. So how often do you give up your choice to create someone else's small world. Conclusion, another reason we won't choose is we draw these conclusions. If I make a choice and it doesn't turn out exactly as I had intended, then it must have been wrong. It must have been a mistake. I must be a failure. And we don't want to go there. We don't want to create that. But that's just because we make it so significant. If we have the gift of choice, doesn't that also include choosing again? I choose this step. And the next step, eh, I'm going to choose a different way. Um, so what, what if the mistake is staying committed to a choice we've made simply because we chose it before? And lastly, a reason we don't choose is culture. We just don't see a lot of people doing it. We see a lot of people around us being stuck. Um, and yet, 
if you make a choice to go a different way and you often criticize it first, but if you own that path and you get what you want, you become an inspiration and celebrated. So what choice do I have available today that could change everything, but I just haven't chosen it before? That could change things, not just for me, but those around me. And besides, do you really want to receive specific directions from God? Is that something you really want? The next phrase here, to Joseph in Egypt. This Joseph has heard directly from God, and this is what he heard. Marry a virgin who's pregnant and run for your life. How often does God give someone clear marching orders and it's down easy street? This Joseph that's, that's mentioned here is not the first Joseph God has sent to Egypt. In Genesis 37, we see this Joseph. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. So here Joseph hears clearly from God and it sets a series of apparently terrible events in motion. He's betrayed by his brothers. He's falsely accused. He's put in prison. But at the end, he's led to this high position in Egypt. And he sees his brothers again and has a, a really shocking assessment of the whole story. So we see in Genesis 45, it was not you who sent me here, but God. I'm going to read that again. It was not you, brothers, who sent me here, but God. We like to think that God swoops in at the end to make lemonade out of the lemons. But that's Joseph saying that God makes the lemons too, which can be a hard pill to swallow. So how often are we asking God for directions to that other life out there because this surely can't be God's will. First of all, that's illogical. We assume that God's plan must be that out then out there. But have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Because when you were there, wasn't it here? Have you ever had that? You've prayed for that? You've wanted that and God gave you that. But when you got that, wasn't it this? Or in the future then that you're hoping to find that happens to you then when then appears will it be anything other than now there is only now here and this that past you grieve about when it happened it happened as now that place you ran away from when you were there it was here God is with us now here in this this here and now is where the rubber meets the road in worship, is facing that. Um, there's this song, you, you got to know, This Is The Day. Everyone know that? John, can you help me out? Give me a G, boys. Mm, this is a day, this is a day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. 
I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it and be glad so long. This is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is a day, this is a day that the Lord has made. Thank you, John. So that's a great song, straight from Scripture, but it's missing a theological richness that the original song includes in Psalm 118. Let's look at that. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray. O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. And so the writer of this psalm included those days we needed saving and those days we felt unsuccessful as being this day that the Lord has made. We see it again in the next words in Matthew, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Now that's clearly referring to Herod. Herod died, so now Joseph can move on. But it will also remind an astute Bible reader of the words spoken to Moses when God sent him to Egypt. Um, on this bumpy road, Exodus 4, 19. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. And so if you're not already doing this, this makes a great case, I think, for Bible reading, regular Bible reading. Uh, maybe that's something you want to take on in the new year. There's all kinds of habits you can form. There's Bible studies we have here you can join. Um, but to do that, it's like, like when we were trying to find the peanut factory and we're driving along, don't know if we're on the path or not. We're, and those peanut farms, there's little just nothing peanut farms there. They really ensured us that, hey, we're on the path. This is what the path looks like. And when you hear about Joseph and Joseph and Moses and see them going through hardships, it, that's what the path really looks like of following God, hardships and all. So the next line is the one that really moves me. And he rose and took the child. Now, while fearing that God was not with him, Joseph was holding a baby called God with us. That was a prophecy about Jesus. Say, call him Emmanuel, means God with us. So Joseph is fearing this next step while holding a reminder that God is with us. Now, are you and I ever going to have such a material, closer-than-close reminder that God is with us like that, and yet he's still feared? But the truth is, we have something like that we overlook every day. The words, I am. Um, the words, I am, is God's name. What he told Moses to call him in Exodus 3. Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So every time that we cry out, that God is not with us. Surely God is not with us in this because I am hopeless. I am forsaken. I am never going to get there. Notice that even in your cries of despair and complaint, I am forgotten by God. You're saying God's name. Also, when we say the words I am, what does I am point to? We all call ourselves the same name. We all say I am. What does that point to? 
Just sit in that for a second. Just say, I am. What are you pointing to? I am points to the real me and the real you before all of the things we add to it. You might be considering a next step in a year and you say, I am too old to make that choice. Old, you're not old. I am doesn't point to old. Old is the body and the body dies. And what I am points to is what lives on, lives through everything, even death. You may say, I'm too afraid to take this step. You're not afraid. Afraid is a feeling. Feelings come and go. What I am points to remains through all of them. You may say, I don't want to go through this again because I am a failure. You are not a failure. Failure is a little blip in your history, which is meaningless to a God full of grace and who works miracles. Old, afraid failure, those are not you. That's a self-image, a distorted self-image, things that we think ourselves to be, that we imagine ourselves to be, but I am points to the image of God we all reflect, all, all proclaim, we are, we'll always be, and that will survive every twist and turn. So as an act of worship, next time you want to cry out in despair, I am forsaken, catch yourself and back up and ask, what does I am point to you? And it'll remind us that the great I am is with us in every step. That being said, Joseph's fear was not unreasonable. Let's look at the next line here. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. So when Herod died, his territories were split up amongst his sister and three sons, half of which went to his son Archelaus. So there was no more Roman king, Herod. Um, Archelaus served as an ethnarch, and you can hear the word ethnic in that, which means he was a ruler over an ethnic group. When in history have we ever seen an ethnic group led by someone who was overruled by someone who was not part of that ethnic group work out for that ethnic group? So this is a bad, bad scene. Also, on top of that, his name, Archelaus, means leading the people. So there's a good chance that Herod had raised Archelaus with the same mindset um, to rule in the same way, that he was cut from the same cloth as his wicked predecessor. So Joseph must be thinking at this point, bad has gone to worse, as it often does. So the question here is if God has put something on your heart and you believe that God is with us, then what are you waiting for? Psalm 90 encourages us. It says, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And the wisdom I receive there is that life is short. And put this together with Ephesians, life is short, so make the most of every opportunity. Um, I've also learned that number our days can refer to the first day. So tomorrow is January 1st. 
our culture has this momentum to start something new tomorrow, change your life tomorrow. That's great, but so often you lose momentum. We were talking before the service, like how, all these people want to start something new tomorrow, so they stay up late and, and start the week tired with a hangover. <laughs> That's not a good start, all right? So maybe you, you, you are late, maybe you lose some momentum at some time. Well, January 1st isn't the only New Year's Day. Chinese New Year's in February, Jewish New Year's in October, you start a new year on your birthday, maybe an anniversary. So there's all kinds of day ones, and the truth is, any day can be day one. Maybe, you know, maybe you miss a day, or maybe you have a bad day, and we, we use an excuse, well, we'll start tomorrow. Any moment of any day can be a fresh start if we choose it. And this final line here in Matthew 2 is a holy paradox. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This says that they were going to end up in Nazareth anyway. That's where they were going to be. This was decided a long time before these twists and turns. So the question is, can you miss God's will? Can you block God's will for your life? We fear that a lot. Now, maybe your next step is not the subject of prophecy, but we can be sure that it is in God's love and care. That's why that peanut story is, is so um, cherished by my, my wife and friends is that, you know, what happened was certainly better than what we wanted to happen. Like, we wanted to see little cans of peanuts floating around. But we had an adventure. Um, and it was a living example of this verse we all love, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, there's another verse I like that is, it says the same thing, but, but in a different way. Um, Ephesians 1, 10, it says, God has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I put the Greek word there uh, that was, we translate into unite. It's anikaphile eleusisai. Say that with me. Anikaphile eleusisai. All right? That is a Greek math term that means grand total. So what I love about this word, if we can see that again, look at this mess. 19 letters, and it means grand total, to unite. What a beautiful illustration that, just like this big, messy word, God unites, brings all things together in Christ. Now, what does in Christ mean? To some, Jesus Christ, those words are a cuss. Something you shout when, when in despair, when things are not going your way, when you think God is not with us. But Christ means anointed one, anointed one, like you anoint a king. And Jesus means God saves. So if you want God to save you, anoint him as king. That's what it means to live in Christ. And if that's a new idea for you, um, there's this great little 
chunk of, of scripture we call the Romans Road that explains how to anoint King Jesus as King of your life. Let's look at um, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What that means is recognizing it's not God but me who stepped away. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while I stepped away from God, he was still here. He was always there waiting for us. Romans 10.9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, that doesn't mean you got to stand up now and come forward to an altar call. Just tell God from your heart that you, God, are the king of my life. And lastly, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What that means is do this, follow Jesus as a king of your life, and you'll have peace. Also said, peace beyond understanding. Now that doesn't mean that we're gonna understand all the twists and turns. But do you really want to understand? Understand? That means to stand under our problems. That's not what God does. He walks us through, reminds us that God is with us in every step. So let me pray for you. Lord, whether this is the first time or 10,000th time, we admit it, we have and do step away from you. We thank you for your love and grace. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you that you didn't give up. And um, just use this reminder to turn our lives to you for your glory, for our good and joy, whether that's the first time or to recommit. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So in closing, if you're looking for a fun trip in the new year, just go down this road. About 20 minutes, you can't miss it. But if you want to experience God's peace in your life, make Jesus your king. Amen.